What's up, LBF? So good to see you. Good morning. Glad you're here today. I'm Troy Spillman, one of the pastors here. I oversee outreach, global, local, and serving ministries. So, so happy to connect with you. And so this, what we're going to do today is week two of a three-part series focusing on parenting called Raise Them Up. So this is something, as a church, all of us have a stake in. We, we all have a stake in this. We need to pass this faith on to the next generation. That's really what we're about. So our youngest son, Tate, our third child, was a lot younger at this time. And he was in the dugout with a few boys from his baseball team. And they're getting their gear ready and all that. And they began to tease him, as boys sometimes do, about whether he had a girlfriend or not. Do you remember those days? kind of hassling him, or you like so-and-so, or whatever. Seeing where this was going, he responded that he loves everybody. He doesn't just love, you know, a few people or one person. He loves everybody, which floored them for, for a moment, kind of put them on their heels. Then thinking they, they cornered him, they hit him with, well, if you love everyone, then do you love us? He paused he looked him straight in the eye and said, of course, you're supposed to love your enemies. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, you never know, you know, what's going to stick uh, when you, you talk about spiritual principles, try to instill principles into your children, right? We want to do our part, but we never know what exactly makes its way to their hearts. So, this series that we're going through, Raise Them Up, it's building up to a parenting conference that I'm sure you've heard about, March 7th, and we're going to have the keynote speakers, which are the real deal, Phil and Diane Comer. And so we're going to have lots of breakout sessions, but especially the keynote times, it's going to be so good. The goal is to spur us on in our parenting, to push us on. The big message here is, with God's guidance and power, you can do this. You can do this. If you're going to trim the tree in your front yard, rotate the tires on your car, build a deck out back, make a gourmet meal, you need the right tools, right? And so you're going to get a ton of practical tools for parenting, whatever season of life you're in, in this parenting deal. So if I could be real candid with the parents here in this room, we realize that this is gonna take some juggling, some coordination, some sacrifice to make this happen. But believe, it is so worth it. In fact, I believe if you're not able to, it's, it's really a missed opportunity. And if I could be as equally candid with the rest of us here, especially if you have family members or close friends that are parents, if you could help relieve some of the pressure so they could attend this, which would be great. Somehow helping with, you know, just arrangements for their kids and those kind of things. This would be huge. Now, this is a long-term investing we're talking about into our kids. And it's worth taking a time out, like a huddle, I would say, so that we can continue to move the ball down the field. That's what we're about. So you can sign up at Next Steps, talk to a staff member or one of our volunteers. You can also just sign up online. But I really encourage you to do this. I really think it's worth it. So today, we're going to be looking at Luke. Chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. So one day, Jesus was praying by himself. He was off praying, and when he finished, his disciples 
came to him and they said, teach us, teach us how to pray. We saw you praying, teach us about this prayer thing. And he goes on and teaches him what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Then he also spoke these words. So you can follow along with me in Luke chapter 11. Sorry, verse 9. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Friends, let's just take a moment. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're a good father. Lord, thank you that you're a good father to us. Help us to emulate you and your love, no matter what our station of life is. Lord, you put people in our past that, that you want us to love with your love. Lord, reveal yourself to us as we work through this passage. Lord, open our eyes to the truth. Lord, open our eyes to particular situations that this applies to our lives. Lord, and I pray, regardless of our station, that we would receive this, would be in tune, because I believe there's a, even just a bigger message. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the hope that we have in your word. Bless this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time breaking down application with this particular passage. In the remainder of our time, we're going to be looking at three different passages that lay out some practical principles on parenting. Say that five times fast. Practical principles on parenting. Here we go. This section in the book of Luke particularly has less to do with parenting and has a whole lot more to do with how God is a good father to us. So back to verse 9. It says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. So Jesus tells disciples to ask, seek, knock, so that they will receive. They will find and have the door open to them. So you'll see that there's a progression here that it increases, the degree kind of increases as you go. So first you start with ask, which is kind of seems polite, right? Hello, can I, can I borrow you for a minute? Can I have a moment of your time? Then there's seeking, which is a little more energy, a little more next level engagement. You have to put some effort into this, kind of like, you know, hide and seek. You know, I have to go searching a little bit. I have to look, so I seek. Then I knock. And this is like, well, someone open the door. I know you're in there. So you can kind of see that there's a progression that takes place. Basically, here's the bottom line. We are asked to ask. He's asking us. In fact, you can say he's commanding us to ask. He wants us to turn to him as a loving father. Yet we can miss it. We can miss what he has in store for us because we refuse to ask or we don't want to ask. We don't have the time to ask. So we're to have this childlike confidence in our prayer, in our seeking him. We're to have this childlike confidence. You ever pray with a child? It's really wonderful. The simplicity of their faith. It's confident. It's assured. With our kids, whether they're praying that they'll get their favorite dessert after dinner tonight 
or that their aunt will be completely healed from cancer. It's like they pray in the same faith, full of faith, trusting that God's going to do what they ask. We, on the other hand, tend to have reasons why we shouldn't ask or, or even expect an answer on a particular issue. Doubt can plague us. So we want to fight against that. As Jesus goes through this passage, he encourages us to seek. So you see, in verse 10, he says, For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So, see, the one who asks then receives. He receives what's needed. Then this increases our faith a little bit more. So then we're going to kind of go to the next level. We're going to seek, seek him out all the more. And then when we find hope and joy because we sought after him, then increases our desire to not be afraid to knock. So you see his progression. It's a process of asking and receiving. Builds relationship and it builds trust. Just as it does with our own children, we want them to turn to us. We want them to come to us first. So in verses 11 and 12, Jesus goes on. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? So the context saying that God, God's not going to withhold good things from his children. We are to ask, seek, knock. And I don't know about you, but I can be so quick to kind of throw in the towel. It's like, well, I asked, I asked once. Oh, it didn't happen. So I can just kind of throw in the towel. I, I, can, I can give up too quickly. There's perseverance that God wants to develop in me and you, wants to grow us in our faith. It reveals our commitment to him too. Jesus then makes the connection between God's fatherhood with human parenting. You have God's fatherhood and human parenting. He says that no earthly father would withhold food from their child. Uh, he would not give them, that would be something that would be harmful, that would hurt them. He wants to give them what's nourishing, what's, what's for their health. So he kind of uses the crazy example of, you know, your child asks for a fish. Would you give him a snake? And we're not talking like a pet snake. We're talking like a poisonous viper. I mean, what dad would do that? It'd just be crazy. You'd throw someone in jail, of course, for that. Um, ask for an egg and you give them a scorpion. It's kind of like dad be like, oh, you know, I know they want some food, but you know, they really want, you know, egg McMuffin, but I have a little surprise for them. Ah, you know, and throw a scorpion. No, who would do that? What dad, when a son asks for a PlayStation 4, gives him his old Atari console from 1984? <laughs> no dad would do that. That'd be cruel, right? What parent, when your kid asks for a milky bun from after's ice cream, gives them kale chips from Sprouts? That would be cruel, too. You just, why, yeah. Sorry, some of your parents might like that. I don't know. Okay, this is true, even knowing that earthly fathers are severely flawed and broken sinners. How much more will God the Father give us that which is actually needed, truly needed to him that asks? And then finally in verse 13, he says, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But Jesus clarifies this idea of good gifts. He breaks this down. First, the starting point is God's goodness. That really needs to be the baseline. I trust that God has our best interests in mind, even though we don't understand at the moment. 
He's, in fact, the standard bearer on goodness. It's like he's the level of goodness and everything else degrades from there. He lays it out that God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Jesus is assuming something in this statement. He's assuming that our deepest needs are, in fact, spiritual. Yes, we have physical needs, but really our deepest needs, the most pressing needs, are, in fact, spiritually based. More precious than gold jewelry or a fat bank account or an epic job or amazing spouse or designer home or a fast, echo-friendly car is the presence and power of God through the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about this. Think of all the things that God could entrust to us. He could give us. He says, this trumps it all, having the Holy Spirit. I mean, he has access to everything. He says, this is what you really need, even if you don't totally understand. Now, the role of the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, called a person. He's also called a helper. How we need help in this world. Also, our counselor. How many of us don't need counsel? He's our comforter. Look, we live in a broken world. We need his comfort. He's the intercessor. We don't know what to pray for, but he intercedes for us. It's called the spirit of wisdom and truth. I need both of those. He teaches us. He directs us. How we need the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us as we have received Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit has made his home in our life. The issue lies in the receiving, not the giving. That's where the holdup is, is the receiving part. We can be slow to ask, slow to desire these things. I want us, and I know my family, to be able to have the right priorities to seek the spiritual. But he's always willing to give, so that's not the issue. He's a good father. And if we're going to reflect him in our parenting, we also need to focus on these deeper spiritual needs of our children. So last week, Pastor Dan actually shared this as he talked through parenting. And he said this phrase kind of a a couple different times, maybe not exactly these words, but it's not likely that your kids will be more dedicated to Jesus than you are. Our children won't pray more. They won't be in the Bible more. They won't seek out other believers or fellowship more than we're willing to do ourselves. Godly parents reflect God by meeting their children's deepest spiritual needs. My wife and I quickly realized the greatest thing we have to offer our kids is a pursuit of Jesus. This comes first. Like all, par- all parents, my wife and I, we, we doubt if we have what it takes to shepherd our kids in this way. Uh, this means that we need to also rely upon the Holy Spirit that he's given us. We need to receive this gift of the Holy Spirit that will give us the power and the drive as we seek to be obedient. The power and drive to press on. Because look, we know it's not always easy. So Caden, our son, when he was two years old, we put him to bed one night and shut the door, and he did not want to go to sleep. So he started yelling and throwing toys at the door hard. And we just kind of looked at each other as we're sitting on the couch and thought, what in the world did we get ourselves into? We didn't even need a license or permit for this. It's crazy. And then we did it, looked at each other, did a little Rochambeau, like whose turn is going to go in there and deal with him, right? Don't tell me you haven't done this. So, you know, we go in and, and calm him down. 
And that lasts for just a few minutes. And we decided, you know, we'll keep going back, but give it a little longer each time. We'll add like five minutes to it on the timer before we go back. Well, this is a long process, but eventually, which all parents desire, he passed out. He just, <laughs> Now, fast forward 17 more years to where he's now a 19-year-old college student, seeing how he is patient with his siblings, how he connects with people really quickly and is a good friend. Um, it's hard to believe he's the same kid. God truly has been faithful in spite of us. So look, friends, we're in this for the wrong haul. We're in this for the long haul. The assignment we have as parents is to make disciples of Jesus. We want them to be disciples of Jesus. That's really what we're after. So last year, we launched something we called the Discipleship Project here at LBF. And the idea is that you would meet, you know, every other week or every week or so, an idea of getting together with someone else to grow and being a follower of Jesus. That was really the plan. And I would hope that we'd all desire to kind of do this. You could do this spontaneously on your own, or we could help kind of make a connection. You can talk to one of our staff or even online where we can help do a match where you could mentor someone or you have someone else kind of mentor you. And the idea is that we're all growing in the faith. Well, as a parent, we have a built-in discipleship project. It's given to us. I mean, this is the assignment that each parent has given by God. With each child, we have at least 18 years of them being under our roof. Maybe some more. Um, and we're stewards for this season. It, and yes, you know, when they, they hit 18, um, the roles kind of change. But the discipleship doesn't stop but we can a little more of a coach, kind of coming alongside. No matter what your station of life is, we all have a role investing in the next generation. This is for all of us. It's easy to kind of think, well, you're not, I'm not a parent right now, then I just kind of tune out. But look, this is for grandparents and uncles, aunts, friends, mentors, single, married. We're so grateful for the role of others that have been in our lives at key times. I, I think of the grandparents, aunts and uncles, and think of pastors, youth leaders that invest in our kids. We believe our kids where they're at because of others have gotten involved. So the first principle we're going to look at is that we are to be preemptive, not just reactive in a party and a passion for Jesus. So we're to be preemptive, not just reactive. There's a natural tendency for us to be reactive. And that's kind of, you know, something happens, you respond to it. Well, we want to be able to get ahead of it and develop a plan. We have plans for vacations, plans for developing athletic skills in your kids. You have financial plans, especially coming up to tax day. We have battle plans for taking on Disneyland, right? You have plans for who we think our kids should marry. The list goes on and on. But what about plans for our kids being followers of Jesus? Where, where, where is that plan? We need to have a plan. Our tendency is Oh man, our kids misbehaving. Now we got to get them to church. Now we got to really make this a priority and, you know, get them in there and maybe start reading our Bible. And, but that's reactive. It's good to ask, how can I get ahead of the curve? Friends, we need to be preemptive. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Children, start off children the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. So I want to chart this course from early on. Seems even from day one, I'm going to chart this course. We should be thinking about it. How do I want them to be? How do I want to be a follower of Jesus? It's always good to ask, too, what kind of home do we want our kids to grow up in? It's never too late to break the cycle. 
Now, my wife and I, like, we didn't want to have a home where there was yelling or guilt trips. My wife and I, even before we were married, we agreed that we would not be yellers, not to each other, not to our potential children that we may have someday. We believe that yelling is simply unhelpful. With both of us clearly remembering how much we disliked it as children ourselves. In fact, we realized that, that many of the fallback reactions as parents we can have to our children, like yelling, eye-rolling, being sarcastic. I mean, you know what I mean. Uh, this does nothing but make the parent, and only the parent, feel better. It doesn't make anyone else feel better. In fact, we realize that many of these fallback reactions, it, it really just kind of hurts the kids. Don't get me wrong. Look, there's a st still a huge temptation for us to react this way all the time. But we know that these are not the gifts that we want to impart to our children. So each family needs to decide what kind of home, what kind of atmosphere do you want to create? And make no mistake, we create it. We create the atmosphere. We can't blame others for it. We need to take responsibility for the atmosphere that is in our home environment. So Phil and Diane Comer, who are the, the keynote speakers at our parenting conference, very succinctly say this, bringing your kids to church is great. Do it, but it's not enough. There can be a tendency to rely too much upon the children's ministry or the youth ministry or the church. And yes, as a church, you know, look, that's our role is we want to invest as well. But we want to partner with you in this. We want to reinforce ideally what's going on at home, that it's happening at home. And the idea is we reinforce it. We're on the same team. Or at least that's the goal. That's the idea. So what are some of these spiritual disciplines we could just kind of go through? Well, you have prayer. Involving prayer just in a, a part of your life. If we say that God matters, our communication to him should matter also. For us, we rotate who prays for dinner. And then at night, we'll pray in individual rooms with each one of our kids. And, and it's so great to be able to see their, their prayers change. You know, especially early on, like you can almost predict what they're going to pray for the next time because it's going to be the same thing. You know, it's like that we have a good day and that sleep well and you don't get sick and, you know, that the food really is good or whatever. So, you know the deal. Like, hey, look, they just kind of can go through the routine, but you can see them mature and grow uh, where they can be more biblically kind of grounded and see, start praying for others, you know, outside of our family. And it's so fun to see that nurture. And so part of our role is to help that along. We want to encourage this. Do it with them, but also show this is a pattern to model. Family devotions. Now, dinner times seem to be a good time where everyone tends to be together. Take advantage of it. Read a verse or a passage. We did it for years in the morning before actually I left. And so it was real simple. There's tons of great materials online. I mean, kidding me? There's so much great stuff. But even if you just took a small section or a verse and you just asked two questions, you basically just ask, what did it say? And what are we going to do about it? That's it. It's real easy. And as parents, we tend to kind of want to jump in there and start kind of lecturing. No, help them through that. Let them discover. Let them check out the verse. Let them look at the words. Let them think deeper about these things. And then it's so good to have purposeful discipleship times, meaning you actually put this like on your phone. You put it on your calendar. Like you're going to take your son out or your daughter out. You know, maybe you go get coffee. You go get a dessert. 
um, I used to take, sometimes my oldest son, we would go uh, to this, you know, kind of country western place. And sometimes it'd be kind of later. It'd be like 8, 8.30 after we had dinner. And we would order buffalo wings. And sometimes we'd order two spicy buffalo wings. And there we are looking at each other going, oh man, I'm out of root beer. And we like run over to the fountain to get more, you know, root beer and come back. But it's just such great times that we would have. Just being together, it sends a message that he's a priority to me, but also I can talk about things in that environment that might be hard to talk about otherwise. Things about peer pressure and friendship and stress and our images. I mean, don't wait until they're teens to talk about relationships and romance and dating and purity and marriage. It's too late at that point. Look, we need to be talking about those things early. Start the process early. We wanted to kind of break through the awkwardness because it's awkward, right? I mean, was it awkward for you when someone talked to you about these things? It was, but yet we need to get ahead of the curve and talk about it. I also try to have spiritual getaways with my kids because we want to have rites of passage. In our culture, we don't really have rites of passage. And what I mean by that, it's like acknowledging like at age 13, we just chose that where um, a lot of cultures, you know, signify this is the beginning of becoming a young woman or a young man. And so that's something I've done with each one of my kids. I've taken them away. Now, this could be as simple as just going to stay in a cabin or going camping. Those are always kind of good because Wi-Fi kind of isn't there and you can kind of really just focus and, and put those things aside that would distract. Now, when my oldest turned 13, uh, it happened that I was already going to Ethiopia as the outreach pastor and we were meeting with some long-term cross-cultural workers there and, and a couple other guys from our staff that actually were my son's uh, mentors at one time or another and they came too. And so um, there was the four of us. And so as we went to Ethiopia, it was great because I did research. You know what they do in Ethiopia um, when age 13 to become a man? Well, the Maasai boys would have to jump over. They'd line up all these steer, like the steer with the long horns that go out like feet. And they'd have to like jump over the back of all of these steers. So, like have to like skip over them or somehow jump over them. We didn't do that. Um, I know moms are going, what happened? Yeah, no, we didn't do that. But what we did do is we went back to the missionary's home and, you know, we had them like make a fire just with the wood and some flint. And then we roasted marshmallows and then we ended up praying for him. And it was so great to have these former mentors that were in his life that invested in him there to pray over him. Find something meaningful for these rites of passage times because our culture doesn't really have these rites of passage that I think we should have to acknowledge as excuse to really, once again, commit our children to the Lord. Okay, so we are called to ask, seek, and knock. In verse 9, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. This assumes that we're being intentional. We're called to be intentional in our parenting and investing in the next generation. We're called to be intentional. Okay, so, yeah, let's be preemptive. The second principle is, Let's be present in the present. Let's be present. Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, Paul is writing to this young church to maintain the focus. It's really a book of encouragement. And in verse 13, he says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I mean, think about this. He says, I don't really know a lot, but one thing I do, one thing I get 
is I need to press on. I need to forget what is behind and press toward what is ahead. You think of like the rear view mirror. If you spend all your time in the rear view mirror, you um, are gonna crash, right? And you think of the proportion of it, it's there, you can look back, but hey, let's not keep our focus there. Let's be looking ahead what God wants to do. I'm talking about a guy that could be plagued by guilt. I mean, this guy hunted down Christians and put them in jail. Some were even killed under his watch. Talk about the guilt he could carry, but says, look, I press on. I want to be in the present, and I want to bring as many people with me because I'm on mission, and I want them to go to heaven with me. And that's what he was about. So we are called, we are called to seize the day. You might have heard the phrase, carpe diem. Seize the day. Look, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, but we have today. Today we have. Let's live in the present. Let's live in today. Let's take advantage of today. When you have younger kids, you can probably relate to me on this. Um, it seems like they never stop talking, right? I mean, but one of those days, these kids are going to get older. And there's going to come a time when they're going to stop talking as much, or at least it's going to really slow down. Listen to them now. I know sometimes it wears on you, but listen to them now actively. Engage, asking questions. My wife is so good at this. I continue to need to work on this. When their daily word count goes from 10,000 words a day to 10 words a day, you already have the habit of paying attention to them, engaging them, gleaning what you can. You already have that mindset. Think of it this way. Think of it as majoring in your children's lives. I want to get a 4.0 in my degree of the study of Caden, Ariel, and Tate Spillman. But what does that look like? What does that look like to, to major in our kids' lives? Well, it's paying attention to the little things, their likes, their dislikes. One can handle being teased and then laughing together. Another doesn't enjoy being teased at all, but, but sure wants to wrestle. Anytime there's an opportunity to like, you know, wrestle. One gets mad quickly, but it gets over just as quickly. Another may simmer slowly. They need quite a bit of time to, to feel back normal. We realize that with two of our kids, especially when they're younger, a little spanking and talking to is all they needed to help get back in the line. This was absolutely no effect on the other. We had to get a little more creative with the consequences with, with our other one, even though these things worked with our others. Obviously, as they get older, majoring in our kids can be a change and challenge as well. We have to adjust to it. With only 10 words a day to work with, you have to be really listening, you have to be watching, reading body language, things like, who are their friends? What do they like to do? How do they spend their time? What are they doing on their phone? Why are they acting out? Now, if you could grade yourself, if you could grade yourself right now, what kind of grade would you give? Just pause. Just what kind of grade would you give if you're majoring in your kids? Or you can see your grandkids or whoever is in your life. What kind of grade would you get? Well, the challenge would be, let's work on getting to the next grade level. What's the next grade level? What will it take? There's a misnomer of spending quality time with our kids. Our culture is like, okay, but you know, make sure you're spending quality time. You will never hear a kid talk this way. I mean, you never hear this. You know, I don't see my dad very much, but when I do, oh man, is it quality time. 
Have you ever heard a kid say that? No, this is a parental invention to make ourselves feel a little better about our lack of focus and time that we give to our kids. You'll never hear a kid saying, oh yeah, we have more quality time, that'd be great. You don't just, they don't just need what we provide for them. They don't just need what you give. They need you. If you spend time, the quality will naturally happen in the midst of it. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. Less time, there's a feeling of less worth and less love. So I've been known to be around the dinner table and everyone's talking and my mind just kind of zips off on some issue I need to take care of or some, something I'm troubleshooting that I need to solve. And so when I come back and everyone's laughing, I tried to kind of fake it, you know, like I was paying attention the whole time. I'd be like, ha, ha, ha. And they look at me and they're like, they catch me every time. They're like, dad, and you know what they'll say? Now? Like, dad, where were you? I was like, oh, yeah, I wasn't here, sorry. I tried to own up to it and tried to get back into the game. I want to involve them in what I'm doing and I want to make it fun. Now I know, dad, especially you get this, like you're taking on a project, you know, washing the car, yard work, fix the fence, whatever it is. It takes longer if you involve your kids, especially if they're younger. But look, it's worth it. You're involving them in your world. And make it fun. Stop by McDonald's, get a McFlurry on the way back. They'll love you for it. So look, well, bribery's okay every now and then. I would be tired coming home sometimes after a long day. And especially when they're younger, I would stop by Starbucks on my way home just for a little extra caffeine boost. Because I knew when I walked through the front door, it's like my real job began. I needed to be there. I, I needed to be on. I need to be ready. Slow down, friends. Enjoy these seasons with your kids because it will go fast. I know you're like, everyone tells us that. Well, I'm telling you it again. It will. Work to be in the present in the present. Verses 11, 12. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? God is an attentive father. He knows what we need. God is about relationship, and we want to emulate that. So dads, okay dads, if you lean into this idea of purposely engaging your kids, it will pay off in huge ways, huge dividends. Take the first step of being attentive. Involve kids in your world. Particularly as a dad, I need to be purposely live in the present and stop thinking, Five minutes, five hours, five days, five weeks, five months, five years from now. That can be my focus. I'm not here, but I'm not right here where I need to be. My kids need me to be. So let's be preemptive. Let's be present in the present. Principle three is be an example. More is caught than taught. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul tells this young church here, don't just do what I say, watch the way I live my life and do that. Sometimes we send unintended messages to our kids and they can show us that they're listening in unexpected ways. When our oldest son was five years old at the time and he started playing t-ball during his first game, he got a nice little hit off of the tee and made it to first base. Then after each batter, he moved up a base Finally, he got to go from third base all the way to the home, and he was so happy. 
uh, with my wife and I in the stands, cheering him on as he ran by us, heading to the dugout, and he shouted for everyone to hear, hey, mommy, I didn't get dirty. <laughs> yep. We apparently failed to pass on their times to be clean and times it's okay to get dirty. But it showed us he was definitely listening, right? One pastor writer put it this way, fathers and mothers, do not forget that your children learn more by the eye than they do by the ear. Imitation is a far stronger principle with children than memory. What they see has a much stronger effect on their minds than what they are told. It's not just what we speak, it's what they catch. We can say certain things are the priority, but it's what they actually see. Retention of seeing something is four times just hearing it. But yet, sometimes as parents, we revert to the lecture. I just don't feel like it's super effective. What they see is so much more impactful. Spending time in God's word. I try to do this in visible places so they actually catch me, you could say, doing that. Seeing me take prayer seriously and praying for others, even on the spot when something comes up. Going out of our way to be encouraging to those that might get kind of looked over, overpassed. Maybe like the busboy or the coffee shop barista, the parking attendant, the gardener. Look, they're made in God's image. I want our kids to know that we care about them. One of the biggest killers in parenting is hypocrisy. Do as I say, not as I do. We can have this double standard. Mom spreading gossip with her friends. Dad using some colorful language with the guys out in the garage. Um, living as if the rules don't apply to us. Quite a while back, a relative of ours told us how he had helped his daughter to get out of a ticket, even though he knew that she fully deserved it, and he was so proud of himself that he got her out of it. What kind of message is that sending? Our kids aren't looking for perfection. They're looking for us to live authentic Christian lives before them. That's what they're looking for. One of our kids gets in trouble yelling, maybe at a younger sibling, and the parent later on, you know, gets angry and loses their temper, but there's no apology. But they made their son apologize. Look, it's so good for us to own up when we make mistakes. Sometimes as parents, we feel like, no, we can't do that. We can't show that we're weak or wrong. It's like, no, it's actually healthy for us to own up to it. And there's three real powerful words, I think, as parents, we should own. And here it is. And I'm going to ask you, repeat it after me. I'm going to say three words, and then you repeat. Okay, Ready? Ready? I was wrong. Okay, that was good. All right, we need a little more heart in it next time, but we're good. All right. Look, that wasn't so hard. Look, we need to own it. And I think it sends a huge message to our kids. So the Lord is an example to us. Friends, we need to be preemptive. We need to be present. We need to be example. I see it as we need to have one hand on their shoulder and one hand on the Bible, making the real life connections between the two. Back to the beginning with Luke chapter 11, verse 9. It says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Parents, we need to take the lead in this. We need to make disciples of our children. We need to lead in first seeking him for wisdom. We all have a stake in this. And so the challenge is pick one area. I'm just going to ask you to pick one area that you're going to put into action. My guess is you have a pretty good idea where you might be lacking. Commit it to the Lord. What are you going to do about it? What kind of action? Lord, I pray that you would, you would help us to own this. Lord, first of all, thank you. Thank you that you're example to us. Lord, thank you that 
that you give us the power and strength to be able to live this out. Show us our part and we'll trust you for your part in raising our kids. Lord, help us to rely upon the Holy Spirit in new and deeper ways. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. So friends, we're gonna move into time of taking communion together. So ushers, if you need to head to the back, that would be great. And in Matthew chapter seven, verse 11, this is just a, a little different perspective on the verse that Luke wrote down. He says in Matthew, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And yes, Luke takes the next step and gives some particular focus with the Holy Spirit. But his idea that he's a giving God. Idea is that he knows what we need. And what stands out for us is that he is the God who gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we may have eternal life, that we may have hope, we may be forgiven of our sins, we may be welcomed into heaven and have a personal relationship with our creator. Jesus opened the door for us to be able to have access with the Father and access with the Holy Spirit that live inside of us. Friends, let's prepare our hearts. He's a giving God. In a moment, we're gonna partake with communion. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, I would just ask that you would pass that plate. This is, this is for us that are believers that call Jesus our Lord and Savior.